before I go down, I just want to introduce a speaker this morning. His name is Jason Shives and his wife, Amanda. They're sitting right over here to your right. Um, they were missionaries in China. Uh, they came back to this area about six years ago and have been heavily involved. Uh, he is currently on staff at uh, CCMP, a church plant in Mount Pleasant. Uh, but they are headed back to Southeast Asia next year. Uh, feel called to go back, so they're going to go back to Southeast Asia. Amanda does a lot of work, uh, is on staff with FCA, and has really revamped FCA programs here in Cabarrus County. So they're heavily involved, and he's going to bring a missions challenge this morning from God's Word. They have three children, uh, young children, and they're taking them all the way across the world with them because of their calling. So uh, I admire people that will put God first. And that's, that's highly admirable. A lot of us are scared to take our kids small places, but I guess when you feel that call, sometimes it just overtakes everything else that uh, you have going on in your life. But um, so he's going to come here in just a minute. And one more thing to close is in 2024, uh, we also have started relationships with um, uh, one more IMB missionary out of our church, uh, Katie Cloys, many of you know her. I just want to mention her because she's out of our church. Um, there will maybe be an opportunity to join her next year in Asia, and I just want to mention that. Thank you. And now Jason's going to come. Da, da, da. Oh, yeah, we're good. How's everyone doing? Awesome. It's good to be with y'all today. Y'all are like, man, he's pretty peppy. <laughs> wow. Thank y'all so much. What a terrible start, right? This is live stream too, but wow. Thank y'all so much for allowing me to come and to have the honor of opening the Word of God with y'all today. And I can't begin to express how much it's meant to have the support of Pitts over the last four years. Over the last four years through FCA and now as our family will be transitioning back to the field overseas in Southeast Asia, we just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being a body of believers that believes in seeing the gospel truly expanded in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost. That's what I loved. That's what I was telling my wife over there when that, all those names came up for opportunities. There's a lot of churches that maybe only have one or two opportunities. You were blessed. You were blessed. Thank you for being a body of believers that is dedicated to genuinely partnering with their missionaries. And I, I like to say that. That term gets thrown out so much, but... When I say partnering, I mean prayerfully, financially partnering with them, physically through sending short-term teams dedicated to fulfilling the vision of the missionaries on the ground. Myself, Amanda, our three kids, Joshua, Kezi, and Mary Jo, cannot wait to see how the Father leads a movement in Southeast Asia, and we can't wait to see how Pitts is an essential part of that. Feel free, come check out our table afterwards, more information, but thank y'all. But most importantly, I guess, thank you for being a Great Commission church. Because when, missions when the missions team invited me, Robbie said it here, he said, I want you to give a missions challenge. And I'm thinking, okay, a missions challenge. And it's funny how the Lord works, right? Because right off the bat, at first, I was like, well, we've got to go straight Great Commission and enjoy it. We've got to go Great Commission. And I was thinking, of course, Matthew 28 is one that we're all familiar with, verses 16 through 20, Mark 16 Verses 14 through 18, Luke 24, 44 through 49, John 20, 19 through 23, or Acts 1, 4 through 8. But as I was praying over this, have you ever had that moment where you have like a gnat that comes and gets in your eye or maybe in your ear? 
I, I tell you what, no, one time, one time I was driving my lawnmower, I have one of those classic John Deere riding lawnmowers, and I'm driving it, and all of a sudden, I just stopped. And it was funny, my son came running out because he thought, he thought, oh, you're stopping to pick me up so you can ride, I can ride with you. I'm like, no, no, no. And I'm like, rub my eye. A gnat was flying around, and it was one of those things, I popped myself once in the face, but I didn't get him, and then he just landed right in my eyeball. But it was one of those things, it stopped me in my tracks. Now, the silly part of the story is, I ended up, I got rid of him, put my head, I was putting my earmuffs back on or whatever, ear protection, and I got one stuck in the earmuff with my ear, and it was just terrible. But, but there's those times that that's how the Lord needs to get your attention, isn't it? There's times where you need a gnat to come, into your, to come in your vision and stop you in your track. Like, he needs to get right in my eyes and show me exactly what needs to be done. Now, I don't think that's how he blinded the apostle Paul. Of course, he was Saul at that time on the way to Damascus, but I could see it kind of in that same sense. With this, me- with, with this, with this message, it was a similar experience for me. One direction, then boom, here's another. And I love that example of Saul on the road to Damascus. In Acts chapter 9, you're like, but it says Matthew, I'll get to Matthew 24, don't worry. But Saul's on the way to Damascus, and what Saul was doing, I, we need to remember what Saul was going to do on the way to Damascus, right? He was actually going to do harm and desire to squash a move of God. And what's crazy is that he believed was that he was doing the right thing. He believed that he was doing the right thing. He believed that he was going to do the honorable thing. He believed he was going to do the God-honoring thing. He believed he was doing the obedient thing. But here's, here's the reality. He was actually doing something that would damage the bride of Christ. The bride that Jesus laid his life down for. And it made me realize that when I'm not open to doing what is obedient in God's eyes, when you are not willing to be obedient to what God is asking you to do, when I'm not willing to do that, what he's called me to do, or I'm not available to be flexible to his will, then I've taken my eyes off of him. And when my eyes are off of him, here's the truth. The truth is I become a distraction. I become a distraction. I become a distraction not just to, my, to myself, to my family, but I become a distraction to the body of believers that I'm in the midst of. Much like Saul, much like Saul, I don't believe that a majority of us want to be a distraction. That's not our heart. Similarly, most of us, and I think similarly, most of us know the Great Commission, Saul was familiar more than most with the, with the Old Testament or what we, what we now call the Old Testament. Most of us know the Great Commission. Most of us know that we're called upon Jesus' final command to go into all the world. And I love that. Wherever you may be, go. Wherever you may be. Sometimes I think we need to get past the fact that we question why are we here. And really when we do that, we question God's sovereignty. We're waiting on God to take us somewhere great, and God's waiting for us to do the work here. Wherever you may be, to go into all the world, wherever you may be, in order to make disciples, baptizing them. I love that. I love, Baptist, I love this as a Baptist church. Baptizing them, immersing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them to faithfully follow all that he has commanded us. I love that. And we're going to come back to that idea of immersion. 
Like we think of baptism as we're going. And yes, that is an aspect of it. We're, we're called to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But there's an immersion aspect of that as we are called whenever you go, wherever you may be, all of those opportunities that were on the wall, will you be able to go and people would be immersed in the presence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They would get to experience the triune beauty of our Heavenly Father just because you're there. Yet, if I'm not intentional in keeping my eyes on Jesus, there's no way that I can do that. That's why Matthew 28, 20, the Great Commission ends with the reminder that he is with us until the end of the age. If we forget that he is with us every day, even to the completion of this age. And I like that Jesus ended it with, and when I say if we forget, I mean we passively choose to live as if we've never met God. We can become passive. Then ladies and gentlemen, you have lived, a, we, we begin to live a life distracted. And if you are distracted, then you will find that you cannot follow him. You will lose your God-given feeling of peace Peace that surpasses all understanding. Joy, which Nehemiah tells us, is our strength. There's some of us in here, you feel weak. In a congregation this big, I know. In a congregation this big, there's some of you that feel like James when James said that those who, those who have doubts are what they feel tossed in the waves and they go, their life is like an up and down. You'll lose your peace, your joy. You're right. You'll begin to lose your righteousness too. Righteousness is that fun churchy word, which is confidence, your, your confidence in the fact that you are right with God. And I don't know about you, but all of us, I'm assuming most of us have probably experienced someone who's been on fire for the Lord. All, and then all of about three or four months later, maybe they, they, maybe they were really invested. And then a year or two down the line, it's like they've lost their peace. They feel weak. They are not, they're a shell of their former self. They no longer look like they have the Holy Spirit in their midst. And yet they feel like they've begun to question even who they are. Or maybe was I even saved? And if I'm a distraction to others, then I can't help but damage and be a hindrance to the bride of Christ. Cannot help but be Saul when I'm called to be Paul, which is why I, be, which is why I believe God led us to open some fresh bread today in regards to, the, in regards to missions. And not that, not that we don't need to be in the Great Commission, and a Great Commission's going to be all through this, but today we get to be in Matthew 24. It's a good one. And I don't believe for us today at Pitts Baptist, it's a knowledge problem for why we should fulfill the Great Commission. I don't, I really, let's be honest, I don't think it's a, it's a knowledge aspect, intellectual knowledge aspect of why we should fulfill the Great Commission. I believe it's a distracted problem for the reasons why maybe we don't actively play our part in fulfilling the Great Commission. And so I'm going to pray and then we're going to get into this and we're going to read through Matthew 24. Father, we love you, and one thing that I get reminded of on the daily is the fact that I am a desperate man in desperate need for you. Just like the Israelites had to go and collect manna every day, Father, that is what I needed to collect. Every day I need to find you. Every day I need to seek you. Every day I'm in desperate need. I am never so, I, I am never so good enough that I can't live a day without you. 
So Father, would you help us? Would you reinvigorate us? Would you put a fire in our bellies and a fire in our hearts to fulfill what you have asked us to do and not just fulfill it, but play our part in fulfilling the great commission and being a part of your story, your testimony, and how you're going to bring all of this to a conclusion. And so as we open your word today, may it just sink into our hearts and sink into our soul and may we just leave here feeling full full of what we need. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's get into this. Now, I'm going to read through this, and I might, I, I get excited. I love the Bible. I don't know about you, but I do. I love this book. I, I, I do not like reading, but I love this book. Someone asked me one time, because leadership and everything, when I was working for FCA, our, our, our boss always said, oh, you should be reading and reading other supplemental material. I'm like, I hate reading, but I do love reading the Bible. I do love reading the Bible. Why would I read? And I'm not against anyone who wants to read supplemental material, but I think sometimes we try to read supplemental material when we need to read his word. So I might rudely interrupt myself when I get excited about something that it says, but when we get to verse nine, I'm gonna slow down, and that's really where we're gonna see, we're gonna really break down those verses, the last few, nine through 14. All right, let's jump in. I'm gonna be reading out of the English Standard Version, the ESV. We're gonna start in verse three. As Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Now, I love the curiosity of the disciples here. I love the curiosity of the disciples. I like to call, I like to call this the power of curiosity. I don't have time to really tell you my testimony, but that was my testimony. I was one that I grew up in a church. It's a good old classic Methodist church. Grew up in there, and my mama took me. I didn't want to go most Sundays, but I didn't give her a hard time because I loved my mama. And I went to church, and it was good, and I loved, and I, and I loved it. I went, I went to youth group, but what, but what challenged was I did not have a relationship with Jesus. And when, and when, life, got hard, and when life got hard... I was a sophomore in college, and life got, and hard is, a, hard is a really general term, but because there's certain things at certain points in your life that were hard in the moment, but then you get 20 years down the road, and that wasn't very difficult. But in the moment of my 20-year-old self, I was going through what was some of the most traumatic times of my life. And I just remember telling God, and I said, Lord, you better prove if you're real, because I'll be honest, you don't feel very real to me right now. And that's what I completely shifted my college education to. My college education shifted to the, the educational study of religion. I wanted to find, was any of this legitimate? And I didn't want Jesus to be the answer. And the, pro, and the funny thing is, after digging into so many of the world's faiths, I came to the conclusion that if there's anything that anyone can logically place their faith in, it's a man named Jesus of Nazareth. And I met the Lord. I, I ran away on a study abroad to Egypt, and then I met the Lord in Egypt, and he called me to missions in Cairo. I say all that to say, be, be curious. Don't ever think you know it enough. Be curious about what the word of God says. Be curious about what's going on here. Challenge it. Ask questions about it. I argue with God a lot of the times. I never win the argument, but I like to argue with him. 
I don't ever win an argument with my wife. I don't ever win an argument with God. But you know what? I keep trying for some reason. But be curious about the word. Enjoy it. Sit in it. Immerse yourself in it. And see, I love this because how can you immerse others in, in the word of God, in the presence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if you yourself aren't immersed in it? But we see here the disciples are curious. The dis- uh, and, so, and I love that because contextually, Jesus has just prophesied in verses 1 and 2. Contextually, he's just prophesied in verses 1 and 2 about the coming end of the temple. And it would be fulfilled, and that prophecy would come to fulfillment in 67 by the Romans. The Romans would come in and destroy the temple. But, but here's, here's what they heard. Here's what they heard. The disciples heard for them, this is the place that we've grown up for our entire life and known this is how we come and we meet with God. This is how we come and we show up and get in the presence of God. This is, how we, this is what we built our life around. And you're telling us the very facet and foundation of our faith that we've built our life around is going to be completely destroyed. That's what they heard. So they're curious. And they want to know what to expect. They want to know what is coming next. I was a teacher at, I was a teacher at Cox Mill High School teaching. I was a Bible teacher there for, for a semester. I got to teach the, Egerton, the Ainsley Egerton and a couple people from this church, from their body. But I had a student in there. His name was Rob. But Rob brought an Amazon, one of those Echoes, like the Alexa Echo things. He brought it into class one day, and here's Rob. We're doing like a project or what? We're doing a project, and it's supposed to be a group project, and he goes, Alexa, tell me who so-and-so is in the Bible. And I looked at him like, Rob, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like he's got his echo, little echo dot in the classroom with him. And I said, Rob, what are you doing? And he said, I'm just checking, Mr. Shab. I'm just checking. I'm just checking. So I love to think about that because the disciples are just checking. The disciples are just checking. Jesus Christ, the original Amazon Alexa. Terrible. Don't, no, tell, no, terrible. I won't be invited back here now. But what, the, but, but what I love is they're not just checking about the end, of the, the end of the age, right? That's what we read here. Their whole life and mindset was built around the end of the days as a transition into a new age of the Messiah's coming when all things will be restored. That is what they're hearing. So they're curious about what's next. They're curious about what's next. And I love, I, love, I love us enough, and I love the fact in the church, are we curious about what's coming next? And sometimes we don't want to know. We, we want to know what comes next, but it depends on if it's good or bad. And sometimes if it's good, yeah, we definitely want to know what comes next. If it's bad, we, if it's bad no, I don't want I'd rather be ignorant. But it's interesting for, for many of us, our expectation will determine what we want to know and about what happens next. And we want to be mentally and emotionally prepared. But let's see what Jesus says in verse 4. Let's see what Jesus says in verse 4. And Jesus answered them, see that, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, but for this for this must take place. So I see three things happening here. I see three things. So Jesus is answering. They're curious. He answers their question. And he, said, and he gives them three things here. There's three things happening here. One, deception will run rampant. 
deception will run rampant. When he says, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, deception will run rampant. Many will be claiming, but few, there will be few who are actually doing. My dad always had this opinion of Al Gore, and I'm not getting into politics, I'm not doing it, but dad, it always bothered dad that he was all about global warming. This isn't a global warming statement, but he was making a, he was all about global warming, but he flew, flew his 787 around the world telling people not to drive their cars. So my dad always had a problem with that, but that's what it brought to mind. Like, but you know what, you know what the word for that is, right? It's this idea of being a hypocrite. And who were the people that Jesus was the harshest with during his ministry? Yeah, the Pharisees. I heard it over here. The Pharisees. The religious hypocrites. Those that knew but did not act. Maybe I shouldn't say did not act. Those that struggled to act. You know what another word for that in the 21st century is? Cultural Christianity. Cultural Christianity. This watered-down, lukewarm, churchy culture that claims Jesus, yet it is immersed in everything else. That's one. Deception will run rampant. Two, you will hear of wars and revelations on every side. You'll feel surrounded by conflict with rumors of wars to come. And I think, and Jesus chose his words very carefully here. He did not say you will see wars. He did not say, say you, will, you will see this. He said you will hear. You will hear. You will hear of wars and revolutions on, on every side. And, I, and to be completely honest, I feel that now. I don't know if you feel that, but I feel that now. With the onset of how the media is and the onset of how social media is and how self-journalism, people will decide that they, can, they have the freedom to promote and tell what really happens out there, and we all take it as fact and truth. Ladies and gentlemen, the United States, it, we are the number one culture in depression, anxiety, and those two indicators lead to suicidality. Number one. Last week, I had a counseling session with a young boy, with a young boy struggling, struggling with anxiety. Anxiety, depression is dealing with what has happened in the past and trauma of the past. Anxiety is a fear of what may happen in the future. And so this young man is sitting in my office, and what we, what we narrowed it down to is it was, the, it was the time spent on his device. We're surrounded by fear. We're surrounded by, catch this though, the sound of fear. We're surrounded by the sound of fear. What you allow to come into your mind has a direct impact, has a direct impact on what you experience and how you experience it. So that's the second thing Jesus said. We'll be surrounded by the sound of fear. Number three, the breaking of the world system is destined to happen. I'm basing that off of verse six. You will hear of wars, rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place place. And again, we put that in the context of the temple has to be destroyed. The system that you have fallen in love with and is all you know must be destroyed. The breakings of the world system must, is destined to happen. Things that we've grown comfortable with, they will crumble. What used to be certain will become uncertain. As an American, I'll be honest, that reality did not hit me as hard as it did in 2020, and I'll tell you what, when you can't find toilet paper, 
or all you find is single ply and your finger goes through it every time? You know, I'm okay with the sound of snow and I can't find bread, milk, and eggs at the grocery store, but toilet paper? I, but, I love, but, but here's what Jesus tells his disciples in response to this. But the end is not yet. The end is not yet. The end isn't yet. And he tells them all this must take place. I love it because Jesus is saying, I've got to tear it down. I've got to tear it down. Don't panic or give in to your fear. It's got to happen. And, and, and that's comforting to me. As I see the world struggling around me. I see denominations breaking away and breaking apart all around me. I'm actually, I'm comforted though because I read what Jesus says and he said, essentially, I've got to tear it down. I've got to get rid of all the things that are keeping you from being immersed in me. I love you so much that I would rather your happiness and comfort and your religious practices be stripped away from you than you be addicted to them. Because Jesus never told us to establish a religion of coming to him. He came to us to have a relationship with him. And he will never allow your life to be sourced by anything less than what it was created to be sourced by himself. That's what COVID showed me. That's what this whole pandemic showed me. It showed me that even if, even if I couldn't gather, even if I couldn't, even if, even if I had to take Romans 13 and say that I, I have to respect the authorities that I have around me, and again, there's a point that if it causes you to sin, you need to cut it off and you need to, te- and you need to step forward, but I'm called to respect the authorities that God has placed over me, and yeah, I'm uncertain, and yeah, I'm not sure, but for the first time, there were many people, I believe, that began to believe that he is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. But as I just read at the end of verse 6, but the end is not yet. For, the na- for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. And I flirted with talking about birth pains, and then I looked at who I am, and I said, no, I'm, I'm going to leave that to Amanda. Amanda, brought me, Amanda bought me a Game Boy before our first son was born because she, I, I was thinking, oh, this will be quick, and she's, now she knows it'll be a marathon. It's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. Now, and this, now this is where we're going to see Jesus do something, though, as we transition into verse 9. Now, we're going to see him do something. There's a shift in verse 9. He goes from making this a general overview of, what is going, of what's going to come. He's going to address what is going to be happening in each of our personal lives. So let's read verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. You will be hated because of your association with Jesus. You won't be hated because of your skin, not because of your income, not because of your house or your car. You will be hated because of your association with Jesus. The more fruit your life produces, the more adoration you have for your Savior, the more obedient you are, the harder it will be for you. 
Here's what I want you to understand, though. The growth can't happen without the resistance. I love hitting the gym, and you cannot build muscle unless you hit the gym and you hit it hard. You cannot get stronger unless you experience resistance. You cannot grow unless you hit resistance. What you do with the resistance will have a direct impact on a kingdom level in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost. And as we break down these verses, Jesus really reveals four ways that we each deal with resistance. Because that's, what, that's what, what happens next surprises me. In verse 10. And then many will fall away. You will be hated by all the nations for my name's sake, and then, and then many will fall away. Which is my first question, which is my first question that I'm going to ask you today regarding resistance. When the resistance comes, are you choosing to be distracted by the failures of others? Are you, dis- are you choosing to be distracted by the failures of others? That word for, for fall away or stop in other translations or st- you choose to stop following me in one good translation, it's actually in the Greek to stumble or take offense to. You're stumbling and taking offense to. All of this stuff is happening on a grand scale. All of these rumors of wars, all of this fear. But it's the fact that you are hated for being his that will cause many to fall away. That will cause many to stop short. See, the devil doesn't care what it takes. He just cares that you stop. He just cares that you stop. He just cares, he just cares that you stumble. He just cares that you hesitate. And this is where we are back to this idea of being distracted. When you stumble, there's a direct and powerful impact on those around you. Look at the rest of the verse. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. See, the bride is called to be unified. And the bride that is called to be unified is now bickering and fighting with each other. It's dividing and becoming weaker. It just happened with the United Methodist Church. Don't think that it wouldn't happen or couldn't happen somewhere else. And applicably, what I'm saying is that it's okay to be, I'm saying it's okay to be disappointed. It's okay to be disappointed. People are going to let you down time and time again. It's okay to be disappointed. But it's not okay to allow that disappointment to slow you down and offend you. Come on. Stop letting other people's silly comments determine the steps that you're going to take. The steps that God's called you to take. Stop giving people more authority over your life than, than you allow God to have. Stop giving people more authority over life that only God should have. When the resistant comes, are you choosing to be distracted by the failures of others? Verse 11. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Which leads me to my second question. When the resistance comes... Are you distracted by the deception of the world? As we've already seen, this is what Jesus said is going to happen. It's got to happen on a general level. People are going to turn this Christianity thing into something that is about checking a weekly, weekly thing off the list or a weekly obligation. People are going to choose to be so passive in their faith. And I know if you've ever been in a small group, life group, and you've done it long enough, you know exactly what I'm talking about where you just feel like it's an obligation at this point in time because you've made it about the obligation of doing it instead of the calling of fulfilling what God's called you to do. 
I love to think of passivity like a current in the ocean. And you go to the beach and you get in the water and you start swimming and you're playing and you're not paying attention to anything because I got three kids, so I don't pay attention to nothing except my three kids not drowning. And, but here's what you do. You turn around and your umbrella is 50 yards down the road. Or up the beach, not up the road. 50 yards down the beach. You don't even know because you've been playing the whole time. People are going to choose to be so passive in their faith that they don't realize that the current has pulled them down the beach. There are some of you that have slowed down. There are some of you that have made all of this about what you need to do for Jesus that you're forgetting about doing stuff with Jesus. You've forgotten your first love because instead of making it about doing it his way, you've allowed a false prophet, false prophet or the masses to determine what you should be doing instead of Jesus himself. When the resistance comes, are you choosing to be distracted by the deception of the world? Verse 12, and because lawlessness will be increased, because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Because so many people are choosing to do it the world's way. Ladies and gentlemen, this one's hard. This part of, this part of the resistance is hard for me personally because, when, because everything seems so insurmountable. It seems like for every victory we have, we make in fighting for what is right, for fighting what we do, that the world gets that much more corrupt. And you can feel so little in light of what's happening in the rest of the world. That's the third question. When the resistance comes, are you distracted by the disillusionment of the world? And here's where the devil can cause you to stop dead in your tracks. Maybe y'all don't struggle with this, as I said, but I, I, I know I do. The thoughts come flooding in. You're so small. This is so insignificant. Shouldn't you have more, made more of an impact by this point in your life? It's not going to be enough. It's not, what you're doing hasn't made enough impact. How come not as many people are coming as they used to be? It's not enough. And see, this is the distraction that can be paralyzing to me personally. I don't see anything happening. And when it does happen, it feels so insignificant. And then I read Jesus' next word. The first word of verse 13. But. And I love it. I need y'all to know, I'm wrapping up. My, my, the, most exciting, the most exciting word I think we can find in the Bible is when Jesus says the word but. One T. When he says that word, it is, the, it is because, right, I get excited about it. It's my favorite word because God is up to something because this may be the reality. This may be the broken world that we live in, but this does not have to be the reality that we experience. Because God is up to something. God is doing something. And I know you're not qualified. I know you're not smart enough. I know that you don't think you're strong enough. And I know the trauma that you've suffered is overwhelming. I know that it's a cloud the size of a man's hand, but little is much in God's hands. Little is much in God's hands when he's in the middle of it. So verse 13, but the ones who, end who endures to the end will be saved. I love that. But the one who places their hope in him until the end will experience life and deliverance. Ladies and gentlemen, hold on to him. Hold on to his promises. I had someone one time say, well, I don't know what his promises are. Okay, that's okay. I'm okay if you're there, but hold on to his word. Dig deep into it. Open it. Cherish it. Choose to trust it. I find sometimes it's not just about reading it. It's choosing to, it's choosing to trust it. 
It's, choos it's choosing not to react out of anxiety or anger because this is what his word says. Because look at this, verse 14, and then I'll close. And this, gospel, and, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony. I love that Jesus says, it will be proclaimed. It will be done. It will be finished. Do you trust him enough to know that it will be accomplished? It will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, all ethnos, all ethnic people groups. And then the end will Come, don't lose heart now, don't stumble now, don't get immersed in all of this mess, get immersed in him. Surround yourself with him. That's why the Great Commission says baptize them. You can't baptize them if you're not down in the water with them, right? Like, because he's going to finish what he started. He can't, he can't stop until everyone's had the opportunity to hear. My family is moving to the uttermost, not because we're special, not because we're extra qualified, but because there are 19 ethnic people groups in the northern part of the country that we are moving to that have never had the opportunity to hear. And I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with that. And for some amazing reason, he wants to use our lives to finish this mission. He wants to use your lives to finish this mission, the Great Commission, his mission, which is my final question. When the resistance comes, are you all in about finishing the mission? Are you so focused on playing your part that there's no way that you can be distracted? He is so, ded he is so dedicated to this. God is so dedicated to finishing this. And he wants to use you. He wants to use you and you and everyone up in whatever section. Yes, he wants to use you. Are you distracted or are you all in? Because the beautiful thing that I've learned from him is that his grace is so sufficient that even if I've been distracted, which I have been at points in my life, I don't have to be, I don't have to be distracted anymore. You have the freedom to choose. You have, I, you have the freedom to walk away. His blood gives you the freedom to walk and get back in his word. Your, his blood gives you the freedom to not be distracted anymore. Yes, I know that it hurts when others fail you. I know that it's easy to be deceived and be, and be passive. I know that the victories can sometimes feel insignificant, but I also know that you can never be too distracted to be out of reach of a loving and gracious father. There's more grace in one drop of Jesus' blood than any amount of sin and distraction in your life. You've been distracted. It's okay. But don't allow that to be your identity. Do the next right thing. I know the choice seems insignificant, but little is much in his hands. He is going to finish this thing, and he wants to use your life. What are you going to choose? I'm going to end with a quote, and then I'll be quiet. My wife shared this quote with me just last night. I believe that in each generation, God has called enough men and women to evangelize all the yet unreached tribes of the earth. It is not God who does not call. It is man who will not respond. What are you going to choose? Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we're just so thankful and we're honored that, the fact that you would involve us in your mission in your word, in, in, in your story. You want to write, write, write the future through your church, through your people. Father, I'm just gonna ask that there would be a fire again that would be ignited for, for us to just go. Whatever it looks like, go in your job. 
It's not your job. It's, it's the sovereign positioning that God has placed you in for such a time as this, to be salt and light to a dying generation in a dying business place. God has given you, God has given you a fire in your belly to go on some of these short-term opportunities, to get involved locally in some of these outreach opportunities, to go to the ends of the earth. Father, would you encourage us to finish, to be a part of finishing the task? Protect us from distraction, but God, remind us and don't let the enemy keep us there with the lie that we can't, that we're too distracted to be useful. No. Father, you, have, you want us to be people who walk in peace, joy, and righteousness. And so, and so help us. We love you. Draw us close to you and your word. In Jesus' name.